Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Romans chapter 1. If uh, you're new here at Restoration, uh, we preach through books of the Bible, and so this morning we are in um, our journey through the book of Romans, and uh, I think it's our fourth week, and let me just kind of give you a, a quick, quick uh, just overview of where we've been so, where we've been so far. And, uh, week number one, we really talked about uh, who Paul is, and we really focused on just verse one. I also gave a lot of um, intro and background to the book of Romans, and so I really encourage if you missed uh, week one, go back and, and uh, watch that because there's a lot of um, uh, intro and background to understand the letter, and so we're going to be referring to those things throughout this, uh, this journey in Romans. But we really talked about Paul's profile, who he is. He's a servant of God. He's an apostle set about for the gospel. Uh, week two, Paul just kind of dove into what the gospel was, and we saw uh, different aspects of the gospel, kind of like a diamond. When you move a diamond, it has different, uh, um, um, different aspects to it. Um, and so you can see different, the diamond different ways. And so really, uh, the apostle Paul uh, talked about the glorious gospel and different aspects of it. And then week two, uh, we, be, we, we started in verse 8, um, Paul's personal address to the Roman Christians. And a lot of the times when we're reading the Bible, we kind of just like read over the personal address, right? Like when he's talking to them personally and, and just whatever he wants to say. And so you're like, you just kind of skip over it. But there's so much that we miss when we just simply read over those personal addresses. And really what we see in, in verses 8, 8 through 15 is Paul's heart. We see Paul's heart. We see the things that Paul uh, is committed to. We see Paul's priorities. And really, in verses 8 through 15, we see Paul's commitment, essentially, to Christian community. And so I broke those two, two down into, into two sermons. And so last week, we really talked about uh, Paul's commitment to Christian community. We talked about three things. We talked about his commitment to thanksgiving. So Paul had a commitment to thank God for all the believers in Rome, those he did not know, those he knew about. Uh, so he thanked God for the believers in Rome. Secondly, he had a commitment to prayer. He, he had a commitment to pray for the believers in Rome. Again, he did, he's never met them. He just maybe knew about them, but he's never gone to Rome. He wants to go to Rome. And third, he had a commitment to fellowship. He longed to see them. He longed to enjoy a relationship with them and see them face to face. And so we're going to continue those commitments today. So we're going to be looking at verse 11. We'll start there and then go through 15 this morning. It says this, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are 
in Rome. This is the word of God. Let us pray. God, we love you. And because we love you, we love your word. Because the more we know your word, the more we know the word of God, the more we know the God of the word. And so God, I pray through the power of your spirit, through the illumination of your spirit, would you cause this text to come alive in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls this morning, and we may properly understand it and interpret it, and not only receive knowledge, but again, like we say every single week, be doers of your word. We don't want this message, and we don't want your word to go one ear and out the other, but we want it to penetrate our heart, our mind, our entire life, so we can live for you. God, lead us and guide us in the study of your word this morning. Thank you. We honor you in this place. Amen and amen. As I was thinking through Paul's commitment to Christian community and to his desire to Christian community, I thought about uh, a couple years ago when we went through... um, the pandemic, when we went through COVID. Um, if you remember, there was a lot of like, you know, hey, stay at home and you can't leave and you can't go out. And uh, if you know me very, very well, uh, you actually know that I'm not an extrovert. Uh, a lot of people are shocked when I tell them that I'm not an extrovert. I'm actually an introvert. And so when uh, we heard a lot of the, uh, you know, rules or whatever to stay at home, I was like, Awesome. I love to stay at home. Like, I love to be at home. I'm a homebody. I do not like to go anywhere. So I'm like, this is awesome. I, you know, and uh, so I stayed home, you know, and I was like, I, I love being home. I still love being home. I'm just introverted and I just feel recharged when I'm at, at home. And so um, I just remember like loving it for like the first two weeks, right? Like, that's how long it lasted me just loving being at home. And they quickly realized, like, man, I love seeing people in person. Like, I love seeing people in person. I love having conversations in person. Uh, I love just messing with people and, and whatever it is. And I just, I just love that interaction. And it kind of took me by surprise. And so I remember just asking my wife, and the other thing you, you should know about me is I hate going to the store. Like, I just hate going to the store. Like, if I'm going to the store, I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get, I'm going to leave, right? If I could Amazon it or, you know, pre-order, whatever it is, you know, pick up, I'm going to do it. But I hate going to the store. But I would tell my wife, do you need anything? Do you need anything? I could go to the store. Like, I just, I could go to the store if you want. Like, I'll, I'll run any errands, whatever you want. And so she's just like, what's wrong with you? You know, what's wrong with you? But, but here's the thing. The reason why that happened is that we're not wired to be alone. Like, like we're not wired. We're not created, even me, an introvert, we're not created to be alone. Like, we're not created for isolation. We're created for community. We're created to be with other people. And like I was saying last week, when God saved you, believer, he saved you into a family. He saved you into a body. He saved you. Uh, yes, and we have this relationship with God privately, but it's not only private, it's so corporate and public. And so we are just so wired to be with people and to be in Christian community. And so again, we're just going to look at other ways where Paul really made that commitment to not be in isolation, 
but to be in Christian community. And there's four aspects that we see here in these verses. And if you're taking notes, the first one is this. It's a commitment to edification. It's a commitment to edification. Paul was committed to edifying the believers in Rome. And if it's Paul's commitment to edify believers, it's yours and my commitment as well. Whatever is true of Paul is also true of us. Look at verse 11 and 12 with me again. He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now, what does Paul mean when he says that I want to impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you? What does that mean? Does it mean that the Roman Christians don't have a spiritual gift yet? And so Paul's going to go over there, lay hands on them so they can receive a spiritual gift? Is that what he means? I don't think that's what Paul means. Um, I think the most imp- one of the most important uh, biblical interpretation principles is this. Let scripture interpret scripture. You see, because in Romans chapter 12, Paul is already talking to the Roman Christians about their spiritual gifts that they've already received at conversion. So as believers, when we are converted, when we are born again, at that very moment, God gives us spiritual gifts. So the Roman Christians already have their spiritual gifts. So what is he really talking about here? Well, I think most commentators and theologians say that this is that Paul is most likely referring to a spiritual insight or encouragement that he wants to share with the Roman Christians to strengthen their faith. So one of Paul's gifts was teaching. He was a teacher, and he received divine revelation from the Lord, and so he wanted to impart this uh, spiritual insight or spiritual teaching to solidify the Roman Christians and strengthen them in their faith edify their faith, build their faith. And so Paul had a commitment to strengthen the faith of other believers. But he didn't just stop there. Notice this. Paul didn't say, hey, I'm the apostle Paul. I've uh, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. I'm this big shot in the church. So I'm going to come to you and I'm going to teach you everything I know. And you're going to learn from me. He didn't say that. Look what he says in verse 12 again. He says, that is that we may be what? Mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So not only is Paul going to edify the believers in Rome, he's also going to be edified himself. Now remember that at this point, the apostle Paul was a believer for about 30 years. He's not a baby Christian. He's been following Jesus for a long, long time. And so that just speaks to the humility of the Apostle Paul. That the Apostle Paul's not a baby Christian, but he was eager to learn from, be edified and strengthened by Roman Christians who were also babies in the faith. 
So what does that mean for you and I? What are the implications for our lives? I think the first is this. There's two, that we are to have the humility to learn from anyone. That we're never going to get to a point in our spiritual journey, in our spiritual walk, where we're like, whoa, whoa, I can't learn from you. Like, I already know it all. I've been walking with Jesus for years. Let me teach you. We have to have the humility to learn from every single person, especially even baby Christians. And sometimes it's younger Christians or baby Christians that really help us and edify our lives because we kind of sometimes get a little stagnant in our spiritual journey, don't we? A little complacent. And then when you get these young believers on fire, you're like, that used to be me. What happened? And so it edifies you and it strengthens you and it builds you up. The second implication is this. We are to seek to edify other believers. And you might be thinking to yourself right now, well, I'm not a teacher. I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm, I don't teach the Restoration U classes. Like, how am I going to edify other believers? Gosh, there's so many ways that you can actually edify other believers. Let me just give you three brief examples. First is whenever you have a conversation with another believer, uh, turn that conversation spiritual. Like make that conversation spiritual. Talk about spiritual things. For example, if you have a conversation with a believer, I think the best question to ask is, hey, what's God doing in your life? Like what is God doing in your life? What, what are you reading right now? What is God showing you? What is God, what is God teaching you? Hey, is there anything that I can pray for? Anything you need from me? Any way I can serve you? And so those types of conversations are actually very edifying to one another. Why? Because we share the prayer requests that we have, the struggles or the worries we have, and so we're edified as we pray for one another. We share about what God is learning, what God is doing in our lives, and so that ignites in us this, spirit, this desire to pursue Jesus. So I encourage you. Turn the conversation spiritual. Number two, this is so simple, but it's so practical and, and, and helpful. You can send an encouraging text message, honestly. Uh, our team leaders have a, a group text, and so from time to time, as God prompts us, um, uh, we, we send just encouragement in, in scripture verses or whatever God's doing in our lives. And so one of us could be having a really tough week or a tough day, and we read those encouragements, we read the scriptures through a simple text message. A text message could go a long, long way. Third, for those of you that are, that are in small groups, I hope you know that like when, when you gather with people, and, and you share uh, what God's doing in your life, or you share an insight of the text, or uh, something that you've learned, or maybe even something you're struggling with, because if you're struggling with something, especially about the text, there's another person that probably has the same questions as you. And so as we're in small groups, and we're, we're sharing, and we're talking, we're edifying one another. And that's, what I, that's why I love our men's sm uh, small group. We just sit around, we open the word, and we talk scripture, and we're, everyone just kind of, uh, you know, uh, sharing their, their insights from the passage. And man, I leave Wednesday nights even more edified. 
and more strengthened, more solidified in my faith. The first commitment that Paul had and that we must have is a commitment to edifying one another. Church, we have to build one another up. We have to strengthen one another spiritually. It is our duty and it's our delight as well. The second commitment that we have is this. It's a commitment to service. It's a commitment to service. It's a commitment to use the spiritual gifts that God has given us. Look at verse 13. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. We don't know exactly why Paul has been prevented from going to Rome. Most likely it's just ministry. He, he, um, he was extremely busy uh, doing ministry, but we don't know. We're just speculating there. But he says, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. And so Paul says, I want to come to you to reap some harvest among you. So now what does Paul mean by reaping a harvest among them? I think it means two things. I think first it means that Paul desires to go to Rome and reach people with the message of the gospel. That he desires to evangelize people, to to see people saved for the glory of God. So evangelism. The second harvest I think he refers to here is the equipping of believers, very similar to what I just shared. Paul's desire is to also produce a harvest in the Roman Christians, not just reach people for Christ, but equip people for Christ as well so they can live for him. Paul wanted to reach people for Christ, but he also wanted to teach people with the message of the gospel. Paul wanted to save people in Rome, but he also wanted to sanctify people in Rome, meaning a conformity to Christ-likeness. Paul wanted to convert people in Rome, but he also wanted to see believers be conformed to the image of Christ in Rome. So there's an evangelism aspect or harvest, and there's an equipping harvest for Paul there. So now you may be asking, What does this have to do with service? Or what does this have to do with our spiritual gifts? Well, this is exactly how Paul used his spiritual gifts for the body of Christ. And I think, again, a lot of times we just skim over things like this, but this is what Paul's really doing. That's what he's essentially saying. I'm using my spiritual gifts to come to you so that I may equip you and evangelize the lost with the gifts that God has given me. There's a great illustration about the body and about gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14 through 20. I'm going to read it for you. It says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one 
body. But here's what Paul's trying to say. There's one body. And each and every one of us is a part of the body. Each and every one of us is an essential part of the body of Christ. God has given every single believer at least one, at least one spiritual gift to use to edify and to build up the body of Christ. Believer, you are gifted spiritually. God has given you a spiritual gift to use in the context of the local church. In this case, in the context of restoration church. So you matter. Restoration needs you. You're important. And we can't function properly and at full capacity without you using your spiritual gift. Believers, let me just share truthfully and with lots of love a few things. And again, it's coming from a place of love. If, believer, you are currently not serving or using your gift in some capacity in the local church, you are in complete disobedience of God's will for your life. And, and trust me, when I challenge you and nudge you, it is out of love for you. Believer, if you're currently not serving in some capacity, somebody else is carrying your load. There are people in this church that are on three teams to make Sundays happen. And there are many who are on two teams. And so when we don't serve, someone else has to pick up our slack. Yes, will there be some seasons where we may have to pause serving to maybe get some things in order in our life? Yes, absolutely. But a lot of times those seasons easily becomes a lifestyle. And so I just want to encourage you and be truthful to you and challenge you to use your gift. You're, you're a part of the body. You're an essential part of the body, and we need you. The church is better when we're all serving when we're all using our God-given gifts. There are things that I'm not good at. And my wife said would say a lot of things that I'm not good at. But you are. And there's things that you're not good at that I am. And so vice versa. And so together we build up the body of Christ through our gifts. Believer, you're so gifted. Believer, you are so needed in the body of Christ. In order for the body to work properly. I mean, just think of our human body. Like we need essentially everything, every single part of our body to run at full capacity, don't we? And even if, you know, uh, I don't know, we 
there's obviously you can live and survive without certain parts of your body, but still, you're still missing a part of your body. And your body's not at full capacity. About, I don't know, six years ago or so, uh, I had to have a gallbladder surgery. And so, you know, like, you, you know, they just toss it out. You don't need that to live, right? You don't need that to live. Sure, I don't need it to live. I'm going to survive. But my body doesn't operate at full capacity like before, right? Now, I'm not trying to compare you to gallbladder. I'm just using it as an example, okay? <laughs> but the point is, we need you to operate to full capacity here at Restoration Church, not to build up simply the church for our own reputation or to feel good, but for the glory of God, for the honor of God, for his praise, not ours. So a commitment to service. So if you're currently not serving here at Restoration Church, I want to encourage you to go to the next steps, get plugged in, see how you can... Uh, you can get connected to the church. And if you've already attended Next Steps, hey, let's get serving. Let's get going. Time is short. Time is short. And people need to know Christ. And people need to hear about the message of the gospel. Number three. Number three. A commitment to all Christians. Paul also had a commitment to all Christians. Look at verse 14. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So Paul here displays a commitment to all types of Christians. And notice he says, I'm under obligation. This wasn't an option for Paul to serve other believers. No, he's under obligation. And if you remember uh, week one, what, what do we talk about Paul? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, He's called to be an apostle. He was separated for the gospel of God and separated for the gospel. So for Paul, it wasn't an option. There was an obligation, a duty, but yet a delight to serve all people, both believers and non-believers. And so Paul here contrasts two different types of people. Notice he says Greeks and barbarians. You see, the Greeks were known for their sophistication. They were so sophisticated. They were what we call today bougie. They were bougie people, all right? And they were sophisticated. They were cultured. They were well-traveled, right? The, these were the Greeks. And so he compares them to barbarians. And barbarians were known to be unsophisticated and uncultured. Actually, the Greeks, when they would hear other uh, non-Greeks speak, they would say that all that they would hear was this, bar, 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 that their language sounded like that, bar, 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 unsophisticated, uncultured, and that's where they get this idea of barbarian. When the Greeks would listen to people, it sounded just like bar, bar, bar. What's, what's sophisticated about that? What's cultured about that? Then he also contrasts the wise and the foolish. Again, the wise refers to those who are educated and the foolish refers to the uneducated. And so Paul here says, I'm under obligation, essentially what he's saying, to everyone. I'm under obligation to the cultured people and the uncultured people. I'm under obligation and ready to serve the educated people and the uneducated people. 
I am not showing favoritism. I am not showing prejudice. I am committed to all believers to serve them. James chapter 2, 1 through 7 gives us a great illustration of this. It says this. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, sit here in this good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there in the back or sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And so this is a great illustration of favoritism. Hey, hey, you rich man, finely educated, sophisticated person, sit at the front. Those of you who are poor, sit in the back. God is not a respecter of our education, how much money we have. Our, our family lineage. God shows no partiality. Paul showed no partiality. And you and I as well. Church, we are called to thank God for, pray for, fellowship with, edify, and serve everyone. Doesn't matter the color of their skin, doesn't matter where they were born, they're educated or not, how much money they have. Because here's the thing. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. The ground is completely level. We serve everyone. Fourth and lastly, a commitment to the gospel. Look what Paul says in verse 15. He says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul had a commitment to the gospel, to keeping the gospel central. You see, Paul could have been eager to come to Rome and preach anything else. Paul could have said, man, I'm so eager to preach on the divinity of Christ. Hey, I'm so eager to preach on the resurrection of Christ. Hey, I'm, I'm so eager to preach on the second coming of Christ. No, no, no. What did Paul say? I am so eager to preach the gospel to you. He had a commitment to keep the gospel central. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says this, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, he says, for if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. He says, woe to me, woe to me, if I do not preach the gospel. That's what Paul says. 
Uh, woe to me if I don't preach Jesus Christ crucified. That's all I want to know. That's what I want to keep central is the message of the gospel. Now, the question is, if you're thinking critically this morning, why is Paul so eager to preach the gospel to believers? Isn't that interesting? Paul's writing to believers, but he's eager to preach the gospel to believers. Isn't that interesting? You see, because a lot of times in our church, we, we think of the gospel simply as just for non-believers. Like, hey, we have to preach the gospel or reach people with the gospel who don't know Jesus. So why in the world is Paul saying, hey, church, I cannot wait to come to you to preach the gospel to you, believers? Isn't that interesting? Well, for Paul, the gospel is not simply just about conversion. The gospel is about walking with Jesus daily, every day. It's not just about salvation. It's about salvation and sanctification. You see, Christians never stop repenting of sin. And Christians never stop living by faith. Ever. We continue to live in faith. We continue to walk in faith. And actually, what Paul's going to do in the rest of Romans is really draw out all of the implications for our lives in the rest of the book. He starts with the gospel and then he's just going to say, okay, here's how the gospel impacts our daily walk with the Lord. And boy, I am so excited for the next 10 years in Romans. Just kidding, not 10 years. In essence, what Paul is saying here with this commitment to the gospel is this. As believers, we must live a gospel-centered life. That's what he's saying. We keep the gospel at the center of our life. Christians are gospel people. Believer, you are a gospel person. And so we live gospel-centered lives, not me-centered lives. Since we're committed to the gospel and the implications it has for our life. So what does a gospel-centered life look like? And what does a me-centered life look like? Well, it looks like this. Let me give you some examples. A gospel-centered life makes decisions based upon pleasing God. A me-centered life makes decisions based upon pleasing self or others. A gospel-centered life lives with an inner desire to know God more. A me-centered life rarely thinks about knowing God more. God is just in the back seat of my life. A gospel-centered life lives with an attitude of gratefulness for God's blessing. A me-centered life often compares with others and covets what they have. A gospel-centered life desires to make Christ known to others. A me-centered life considers all faiths of equal validity. 
a gospel-centered life, enjoys worshiping with other believers, what we talked about last week. A me-centered life has a self-defined relationship with God that requires no fellowship, no teaching, or no accountability. A gospel-centered life considers financial resources as a means to help others know Jesus. A me-centered life considers financial resources as means to get more stuff or to impress others. A gospel-centered life is learning to love Jesus more than anything else. A me-centered life considers Jesus simply just a great historical figure in the Bible. A gospel-centered life has placed shame and guilt on the cross. A me-centered life may carry loads of shame and guilt. A gospel-centered life joyfully serves others as a way to serve Christ. A me-centered life serves only if it brings satisfaction or approval or if it's convenient. I could keep going and going and going, but I think you get the point. A gospel-centered life takes life takes the gospel and thinks and lives and makes decisions, everything through the filter of what Jesus has done for us a commitment to the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, bore the wrath of God that we should have bore upon ourselves, died, was buried, rose again, is coming back. And those who place their faith in him will have eternal life. We see everything through the message of the gospel. So church, let me just summarize these last two weeks. We, as believers, have a commitment to thanksgiving, to thank God for every single believer, even the ones that are hard to love, even the ones that agitate us or have hurt us. We are committed to praying for believers that we know personally and believers we know of especially our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in parts of the world that are literally hiding for their life while we sit here in comfort. We have a commitment to fellowship, to enjoy each other's company, to edify one another, a commitment to edification, a commitment to service and using our gifts, the God-giving gifts he's given us. We have a commitment to all Christians despite how different they are from us. And we have a commitment to be gospel-centered people. May you have that commitment as you move forward throughout this year. I hope and pray that you would reflect on those what seven commitments May God help us live these out, not in our own strength. We can't do anything on our own strength. But it's only by God's help, by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit that empowers each and every one of us. 
Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.